But as we turn our hearts to God's Word this morning, we're in Romans chapter 12. And we've been in Romans now for 115 messages. We're working our way through it. I only got, you know, a couple chapters left here, but uh, it's, it's packed full of stuff. So I don't know when we're going to get out of Romans, but um, while I'm gone, Ken is going to be preaching for two Sundays, and uh, he's going to be uh, talk, talk, talking out of First Samuel chapter 7, Memory Set in Stone, and he has some wonderful messages in store for you. And then also um, on Wednesday nights, he's going to be teaching on the armor, right? The armor of God. So he's, we're going to continue our Wednesday night Bible studies. Meet each Wednesday at 7 o'clock and kind of be uh, leading you through that. And so we're looking forward to that. And it's, it's wonderful to be able to get away for a couple weeks and knowing that you'll be in good hands. And even when I get back, you're going to be in good hands because Sam Rajkumar is going to be preaching the Sunday I get back. And then Danny Vasquez is going to be preaching. So, wow, I don't know what's happening here. I'm working myself out of, a, of a, some responsibilities. But it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. No, I always love to hear our brothers preach. But it's, yes, as we, as we look at, as we look at Romans chapter 12, I want to read for us verses one through two. And then we will introduce this text last week. And today we'll actually be looking at some of the text, but he says, Romans uh, chapter 12, verses one and two, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Today I want to continue this little uh, series here in Romans, the transforming power of the gospel. And specifically, we're looking at the idea that the gospel expects sacrifice. The gospel expects sacrifice. And so we've opened up chapter 12 last week, and we begin to understand that this is built on a foundation of sanctification, justification, salvation. That's the theme of chapters 1 through 11. And now, as we embark on chapter 12, based on all the information that Paul has given us, Paul now says, you know what, here's what I want you to do with it. I've shared all this theology with you, chapters 1 through 11, and we've, we've reviewed that, and it's just, it's, it's incredible what's in there. But now he says, you know what, based on that, based on all that, that theology, I want you to understand that, you know what, there's some responsibility that falls on the believer. And so this is what Paul wants to share with us. And so as we look at this text today, I'm just reminded of a, of a couple things that, of, of Scripture, and these aren't really in the notes here. But we introduced the, the idea last week that the Christian life is really built upon not on what you get from God. That's not what it's built upon. Because you've already, as a believer, received everything that you're ever going to get. There's nothing more to come. You're complete in Christ. Amen? He's given to us all the things that are needed for godliness and to live this life through the power of the Spirit, through the, the revealed Word of God. 
It's not based on what you get from God. It's based on what you give back. And that's what Paul wants us to understand here. It's the idea that, you know what, now that God has done all this for you, what are you willing to give to him? As far as service, as far as sacrifice. And it's important because when Paul says here, by the mercy of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, you have to understand, this is not how it always operated. This is something new. The hearers of Paul's message here and the readers are probably going, wait, what's he saying? Because what happened in the Old Testament, beloved? God was not satisfied with a sacrifice, a dead sacrifice. And that's what they would do. They would bring the sacrifice, the lamb or whatever it was to the priest. And what would the priest do? The priest would kill the lamb. And then they would burn the, altar, or burn the body on the altar. And they did that. For many, 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 many years. And even though they went through all that ritual. What's true about all those sacrifices. They did not satisfy God. They were looking forward to the anticipation of the sacrifice. Of the Lamb of God. Of Jesus Christ. The one who would be sacrificed once for all. And so sometimes when we get into our Christian life, a lot of times we think, oh, we're sacrificing. Yeah, we're, you know, boy, I'm taking up my cross, you know. And and we kind of feel like we're doing something almost out of obligation. And in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, it says this, to obey is better than sacrifice. See, sacrifice had a place. But now it's changed in light of Christ's coming. And even though they sacrificed in the Old Testament, there were sacrifices that the people made. Did you know what? God didn't want to have anything to do with. He said, I don't want your sacrifice. Because it was coming from a disobedient heart. It was coming from a sinful heart. In Amos chapter 5, verse 21 to 23, I'll just read this for you. He says this. He says, I hate, I despise your feasts. And I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. This is God speaking. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. And he says this in verse 23, take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen. So there are times I believe even in our own Christian lives that sometimes our service does not come from a a heart that's genuine, does not come from a heart that's motivated by the spirit but rather by the flesh you know sometimes we're motivated by guilt well I have to go to church because if I don't go to church somebody's going to call me or somebody's going to notice I'm not there and then they're going to ask me why I'm not there so see that's that's wrong that's the wrong motivation 
You know, so we, we need to be aware of that. And we need to make sure that when we do things for the Lord, when we are sacrificing for the Lord, we're doing it the right way. Uh, Psalm fifty one seventeen, the psalmist says this, the sacrifices of God are what? A broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. What's that mean? That means, you know what? Your heart has to be right before you bring anything, before you lay anything on the altar. You know, when that little bag comes around at the offering time, if you're putting something in there just to thinking you're getting something back from God or whatever, that's the wrong motivation. It's the wrong motivation. In Psalm uh, 51 there, we saw that, you know what, there are sacrifices that God does not accept back even in the Old Testament. So these animal sacrifices that they made, they... It's not that they satisfied God. It symbolized that sacrifice that Christ was going to make. In Psalm 141, verse 2, it says, Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. See, the psalmist is saying there that, you know what? May my praise and my desire to worship you from my own heart, may that be my sacrifice of praise. See, God always wanted the heart. He always wanted obedience in the sacrifice. He just didn't want the sacrifice. And so when we serve the Lord, when we lay our lives on the altar as a living sacrifice, we have to stop and we have to ask ourselves, why are we doing this? What's our motivation? And last week we looked at some foundational truths, and I'm just going to go through these real quick. First of all, we realized that we are not our own, and we looked at all the verses that went along with that that spoke that we are bought with a price. You know, you hear some Christians, well, I have the right. I No, you don't. You were bought with a price. You are not your own, the Bible says. Secondly, we looked at we are new creatures in Christ. And we talked about how that came us, helped, helped us to understand that there's a death to our past. That we don't have to be the same person that we were before Christ. That we're freed from that. We're freed from the bondage of sin and death in Christ. The third thing we looked at is we are to die to self so we can live for Christ. It's kind of a paradoxical statement. The world doesn't understand that. Why? You want to die so you can live? But the Bible's full of paradoxical statements. They're full of things that, boy, that just doesn't, logically, it doesn't make sense. If I asked you who wrote the book of of Romans, you would say who? The Apostle Paul. Well, did he really? I thought God. Well, yeah, but, well, which is it? Okay. Or even Paul himself was conflicted when he lived his Christian life. He said, hey, the life I, I now live, I live this life. I live it in the flesh, but it's not me. It's what? It's Christ who lives in me. Nevertheless, well, which one is it, Paul? See, I mean, there are certain things in the Bible that are just like, well, this doesn't make any sense logically. And that's okay. Because we're talking about God here. We're not talking about our neighbor. And so the truth of that statement is that we need to die to self so that we can live for Christ. And that means basically you you come to the end of yourself. As I mentioned last week, when I was in Bible college, a professor told me, you know, you guys are coming into ministry, blah, blah, blah. And he gave us this kind of a 
pump up speech thing. And at the end, he said, just, just let you know you're throwing your life away. And I thought, wow, that's not what I want to hear. You know, but went to school here for three years. Now you're saying I threw my life away. But what he was saying was so true. Because your life is not your own. Nor is it for any Christian. So we are to die to self, to live to Christ. And then the fourth thing we looked at, as priests, we are called to offer a living sacrifice. And we talked about how that is, is so different than the Old Testament. Because what would the priest do? The priest would take that offering and he'd take it to the altar and he would kill it. It would be a dead sacrifice when he got done with it. But now, what does the Bible call us? The Bible calls us priests. We're a kingdom of priests. And we're supposed to bring the sacrifice to the altar. You know, we kind of feel like Isaac, you know, like, okay, well, where's, where's, the, where's the sacrifice at, God? And he's saying, you're it, pal. You're the one that's going to get up on that altar. You're going to be a living sacrifice. And so he starts off chapter 12 with this appeal for sacrifice. And we talked about how in verse 1 there, that word therefore, it's, it's really there four times throughout the book of Romans because it's restating kind of a, a refocus of what was just being taught. Based on what I just taught you in Romans 11, here's what I want you to do with it. It connects what is about to be said with what has just been said. So our Christian lives, verses 1 through 11, can be summarized this way. What God has given to us. That's what we've been studying for the past couple of years in Romans. But now, verse, chapter 12, verse 1, starts a whole new section. And that section says, because he's given us so much, the question is, what are we going to give God? What are we willing to give God? We cannot have more of God or even more from God than we now possess as believers in Christ. We're maxed out. You know, you hear some Christians, why well, just pray, God, you'll give me more love. You know, the, the love of Christ is shed abroad in your heart. How can you have more love than that? Okay, so there's a lot of things sometimes we pray for that are almost in our own ignorance because God is saying, I don't know why you're asking that. You already got it. Just use what you got. And unfortunately, a lot of believers today in the world in which we live don't have that fullness of joy. They don't have the fullness of blessing that they should have. And I think one of the reasons is is because they don't understand that it's already theirs. The joy and satisfaction for which so many Christians are, are striving for can be had if you just surrender back to the Lord what he's already given you. New life. Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That word appeal, when Paul says there, I appeal, it's the Greek word parakaleo, and it means to call alongside in order to help or to give aid. It has the idea of exhorting or admonishing or encouraging. That same word's used, by the way, for the Holy Spirit, the one who comes alongside us, the comforter. But Paul says here, I, I want to appeal to you. I want to urge you. I want to beg you. He's not just saying, hey, this might be a good idea. Try this out. No, he's saying, I, I really want you to do this. I want you to devote yourselves to God. And notice, he's not talking to everybody. 
He's not talking to the world. If you go out to the world and say, oh, you know what? I want you to present yourself a sacrifice. They're going to say, what, later? I'm out of here. I mean, even if you, if, you, if you share the gospel with people, as many people do today, and we talked about this last week too, based upon their felt needs, what Jesus can do for them, rather than the idea that, you know what, they're a lost sinner and they're on their way to hell. And they need to cry out for mercy and grace to a God who loves them and provided a sacrifice for them. Notice who he's talking to. He says here, brothers. It's being directed to brothers in Christ. I beseech you, or I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, what? Be devoted to God. Give yourself, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Well, this brings us to the nature of our sacrifice. And this is where we're going to start today with our message. The nature of our sacrifice. This sacrifice, notice, as we said in the Old Testament, they were dead by the time they were sacrificed. They, they would cut the throat of the animal and, and spread the blood around and then burn the, the, the remaining uh, portion of the animal that's left on the altar. But here it says, no, I want you to present your bodies as a what? As a living sacrifice. See, this is the nature of our sacrifice. It's something that's living. This is really ultimate proof that you are truly a believer. The willingness to give back your life to the Lord. That's really a sign that God has saved you. We are to sacrifice ourselves... Jesus if we love him. That's basically what, what Paul is saying here. Jesus said that himself in John 15, 13. He says, greater love has no, no man than this, that what? He lay down his life for what? His friends. And that's what Christ did for us. Jesus actually died on the cross to secure our salvation because he loved us, because he gave himself for us. And we who love Christ and have been changed by Christ are likely to give back ourselves as a living sacrifice to him. Now, there's a tremendous difference between Christ's sacrifice and our sacrifice. Jesus died in our place. He bore the punishment of God for our sin so that we wouldn't have to. Well, our sacrifices are not like that. Our sacrifice... Living sacrifice is not an atonement for our sins. We couldn't die for our sins even if we wanted to. We're not a perfect sacrifice. But they are like Christ's sacrifice in the sense that we are the ones who make them and that the sacrifice we make is ourself. See, that was the unique thing about Christ. He proclaimed himself as a priest. And when they... He went to the altar to to sacrifice. What did he do? He laid his own life down. The priest sacrificed himself. And that's the picture that he gave us. And now he says, I want you to do the same thing. I want you to be willing to go to that altar and lay down your life as a living sacrifice. I was reading this past week a a email from the, the TMAI guys, and there's a 
missionary from the, the, the uh, Master Seminary over in Africa. I forget the name of the, the village they live in, but they were just going through the jungle. And just kind of on a casual walk. And they heard some rustling and they thought, oh, maybe it's, it's some bird or whatever. So the wife went forward and all of a sudden she's surrounded by the, these guys with machetes. And the husband ran up and they basically attacked him. Luckily, the husband, I think, just got his finger cut or whatever in, in this attack. But they demanded their watches. They demanded their, everything they had. They took everything they had. Luckily, they lived. But I'm thinking, Wow. You know, we, in this country, we think, oh, we're, we're sacrificing for the Lord. You know, no, we're not. We have no idea what goes on in other parts of the world where people have to lay their life on the line. Why? For the gospel. You know, and we complain if, you know, the temperature's not right in church or something. You know, it's just ridiculous. I mean, we, we really need to refocus our hearts and our minds on what truly matters. And so Paul here is saying that, you know what? Christ sacrificed himself as a priest. Now you are kingdom of priests, and you're required to come and sacrifice. Well, let's look at this idea of sacrifice. Um, Paul, first of all, says that the sacrifice is to be a living sacrifice rather than a dead one. I'm kind of glad about that, aren't you? I mean, I'm glad we don't have to go and you know, crucify ourselves or die on the altar, literally, physically. But the first point here is the sacrifice is to be a living sacrifice rather than a dead one. And remember, this is something that was very novel in Paul's day because every sacrifice was killed. The idea that you would have a sacrifice that was a living sacrifice didn't make any sense. The animal was brought to the, pe- uh, the, the priest. The sins of the, 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 the people or the, the person was, was brought over and kind of transferred to the anim- animal in a ceremonial, symbolical way. And then the animal was put to death. Because the Bible says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is what? Death. And that salvation of sinners comes by substitution. We don't get to die for ourselves. No, we have to trust in God's substitution for us, the substitution of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's all those, all those animals were in the Old Testament. They were just substitutions, looking forward to the sacrifice of Christ. That animal would die so that that person might not have to die. But now... Here is, is Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He reveals that sacrifices that we are to offer are not to be dead anymore, but living. And people are probably scratching their heads saying, wait a minute, sacrifice, living, that doesn't make any sense. It's just kind of like today when you, when you talk about sacrifice in the Christian life and you say, you know what, if, you, if you're willing to sacrifice for Christ, that's going to bring you blessing. If you talk to a non-believer, they're just going to say, you're nuts. You know, what's mine is mine. Get your own stuff. You know, that's just how they think. So you don't get more by giving away. And yet that's exactly what the word of God says. Second Corinthians 5.15 says it's, we should no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us and was raised again. We are to be the living sacrifice. But with what life? What, what should we sacrifice? I mean, are we to give 
our old sinful lives? No. We were already dead in our trespasses and sin. What happened when we became a believer? What did God do? Made us a new creation. He gave us new life. And it's that new life that God expects us to give back to him. There's a Scottish pastor who wrote this in his commentary in Romans 12. He said, when you speak of life, what life? Not merely animal life, the life that is common to all sentiment-moving creatures. Not merely, in addition to that, intelligent life. The life that characterizes all beings capable of thought and voluntary choice. But spiritual life. Life in the highest sense. The very life which those on whose behalf the sacrifice of atonement is presented lost. When they fell into that state which makes a sacrifice of atonement necessary. So God gives us new life in Christ and he says, you know what? You should be ready to give that back to me. Secondly, it's not only a living sacrifice, but that sacrifice involves the giving of God of our bodies. That we should be willing to sacrifice our bodies. There's a lot of different viewpoints. Well, what does Paul mean by bodies here? Calvin wrote this, By bodies he means not only our skin and bones, but the totality of which we are composed. Leon Morris, another commentator, says this, Paul surely expects Christians to offer to God not only their bodies, but their whole selves. But we should bear in mind that the body is very important in the Christian understanding of things. Our bodies may be used as implements of righteousness and are also called members of Christ. The body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul can speak of both holy of both in body and spirit. He knows that there are possibilities of evil in the body, but that in the believer, the body of sin has been brought to nothing, Romans 6, 6. And so we have to stop and we have to kind of ask, what's he talking about here? Well, he's speaking of both. He's speaking of our whole being, but he's also speaking of our physical body because that's what Paul said over and over and over again. He said in chapter 6, Therefore do not let sin reign where? In your mortal body, so that you will obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. That's verses 12 through 14 of Romans 6. And Paul is making the same point here. When you think of the body, what do you think of? Well, first of all, we think of our minds. That's really kind of evident right there in verse 2. We're not going to get to that today, but he says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. I mean, our minds are part of our body. And so he wants us to understand that, you know what, part of our mind should be willing, we should be willing to sacrifice that to the Lord. Give that over to the Lord. If we fill our mind, if we fill our head with a bunch of trash, that's not honoring to the Lord. 
On the other hand, if you're filling your, your mind with spiritual things and, and verses and, and, and God's word, well, then you know what? That, that's going to train you in godliness. It's not rocket science. It's just garbage in, garbage out. What you put in is what you're going to get out. Secondly, our eyes and our ears, not only our minds, but our eyes and our ears. What are we listening to? What are we looking at? I mean, we live in a day and age today where, you know, you can't even escape media anywhere. Unless you went maybe to a remote island where they didn't have anything and and just, you know, it'd be kind of freeing in a way not to have that temptation so many times my wife and I will go out to dinner and we'll be sitting there and we'll be talking a little bit and then all, inevitably one of us picks up the phone over the phone, you know, beeps or something. Oh, oh, oh the kids are... And then, we, we're, and then pretty soon before we know it, you know, 10 minutes into our dinner, we're both sitting there. It's like, we got to stop. Let's put the phone down. Okay. It's just kind of silly, you know, but it's, it's, it's nothing wrong with technology. I'm a big tech guy. I like that kind of stuff. But you know what? It definitely... You have to put it in its place. Because if you don't, what happens? It just takes over. Big time. I mean, what do we do without cell phones before we had cell phones? I mean, I remember when I first came to the church here, I had a pager. I thought, well, that's really cool. I got a pager. <laughs> now it's like, you know, you got a what? What is that? What's that little thing? You hang? Well, why, would you, why would you have a pager? It doesn't even make any sense. I mean, how would you pick somebody up at the airport without a cell phone? I mean, do you ever think of that? It's it's so convenient, you know. I'm at the gate. Okay, cool. I'll pick you up whenever, you know. It's just so much easier to communicate. And there's nothing wrong with those things. But at the same time, you know, I like the fact that, you know, a lot of people are down on, oh, you know, they shouldn't put Bibles on, on cell phones and iPads. That's wrong. There's been a lot of times I've been in the coffee shop and I haven't had a Bible with me. But I did it in my iPad. I did somebody asked me a question. Hey, let me check. I'll, right here, look, read it for yourself. You know, and you just pull it right out. And it's the word of God. They're electronically right before their eyes. There's nothing wrong with that. But you just have to monitor it. You have to be careful. I liked what James Boyce said. He said, concerning our minds, for every secular book you read, Make sure you're reading a Christian book. And he says the same thing about, about this. He says, you know, as, as many um, times as you're, you're watching, you see yourself watching TV or watching sports or doing whatever, balance that out with an equal amount of time in the Word. I mean, how many of us do that? Probably not many. Okay. Very few, I would, I would guess. Um, so that's another part of our body, our ears and our eyes, our tongues. James has a lot to say about the tongue. James chapter three, the tongue is a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire and is set and is itself set on fire by hell. See, if your tongue is not given to God as an instrument of righteousness, guess what? It's going to be an enemy. It's going to drag you down quick. Just a little bit of gossip, just a little bit of slander, that, that suffices. That, that, that will hurt you in the long run. What we need to do is choose to use our, our tongues to praise and to serve God. To recite scripture, to share the gospel with others. It was, it was interesting at the men's uh, 
breakfast yesterday when we heard Hector's testimony, and he he shared about how growing up, you know, he kind of had a, a little bit of a speech impediment, and he would stutter a little bit. And that's why he's kind of quiet, a quiet individual. Just kind of grew into that that way. But this is a guy that goes out with, you know, um, seed sowers out to the corner and hands out tracts and shares the gospel with people, you know, on a regular basis. And it was funny because when he was giving his testimony, uh, one of the gentlemen at the end of the thing said, you know, when you were sharing the gospel, the part of your testimony where you spoke about the gospel, you didn't stutter one time. <laughs> he just, God just gave him the freedom to, to speak from his heart. And it was just a real blessing. And that's what God wants us to do. Well, also our hands and our feet. That's part of our body, right? There are, are several important messages in the scriptures that point to this. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 11 to 12, Paul says this. He says, aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs. What's he mean? Mind your own business. And to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. What are we doing with our hands and our feet? Or in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, Paul says this, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And even in Romans 10, verses 14 to 15, Paul says this, How can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Well, the question is, what are you doing with your hands? Where do your feet take you? I trust that they're going to places that honor and glorify the Lord. Or is there, are they running to places where sin is openly practiced? Are you spending most of your time loitering in places that are not honoring to the Lord? You're not going to grow in godliness there. Third thing, the sacrifice we are to offer to God. So we have the body, we have the living sacrifice, and the third thing here is, is Paul says the sacrifice we are to offer to God is to be holy. Is to be holy. This is a third word that Paul uses speaking of the nature of our living sacrifice. Any sacrifice had to be holy. It had to be without spot, without blemish, consecrated totally, entirely to God. And you might be sitting there as I'm standing here thinking, well, that doesn't describe me. (laughs) I am not holy 24-7. I am not perfect. I am not sinless. Probably sin every day. It's probably most of you do. Well, how can we possibly present ourselves as a holy sacrifice? Well, the point is this. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 to 20 says that we have been purchased not with a perishable thing such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. And then a little uh, earlier, he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. See, the fact is, is that, you know what? Our position in Christ is one of a holy position. God sees us as holy individuals, not based on our own holiness because we don't have any, but based on the righteousness that Christ gave to us. He imputed his righteousness to us. 
So we don't have to wonder about, wow, I don't feel holy enough. It doesn't matter how you feel. See, as Christians, we've got to stop living our Christian lives based on our feelings. We have to get back to the Word of God and say, well, what does God's Word tell me about myself? Well, the Word of God says, you know what? You're, you're, a, you're a son of God, the Most High God. You, you're created anew in His image, spiritually. You have a new creation in Christ. You can go on and you can go on. He's given you the Holy Spirit to live within you. You can live a life that's victorious over sin and death. Will you fail? Sure you will. Because you're not perfect. But you're declared perfect. See, that's the good news. I mean, what a wonderful thing. To know that, you know what, when you fall, that's why we want to run back to God and Lord, yeah, I confess this sin. We don't go to God to confess our sin, hoping that he'll forgive us. He's already forgiven us. We're already forgiven in Christ Jesus. We just run back and we affirm that forgiveness. We thank you, Lord, for, you know, I blew it and, and, and I just want to confess this was wrong. And I want to turn from this sin. I want to repent of it. Give me the power to live another day victorious over this sin. Thank you for forgiving me. And you move on. Don't allow the enemy to creep into your life and make you feel guilty and hold you down for something that you have confessed and repented of. That's not something God wants you to do. Now, if you're living openly in sin, then you got a problem. Because you're going to feel convicted. Because the Holy Spirit's saying, you shouldn't be doing this. And that's a good conviction. And until you repent and turn to the Lord and, and ask God... To, you know what, just help me be victorious over this sin. Then you will feel guilty. You will feel convicted because you are. <laughs> Bottom line. In your practice. But not in your position. And that's so important to understand that. And so we see here that this sacrifice needs to be holy. Um, someone said this, salvation does not mean that Jesus died to save us in our sins. Salvation means that Jesus died to, to save us from our sins. See, there's a lot of believers today that think, oh, well, it's okay for me to just go out and do whatever I want because my sins are forgiven. No. Don't go down that road. You're, you're really... You'll be pushing God's buttons and you don't want to push his buttons. Because you'll be crying out for his discipline in your life. And he will discipline you. Just as a father disciplines his child. So we want to live holy lives for him. Holiness is basically what? Set apart. We're set apart for God. It's not something we hear a lot about today. We sang a little bit about this morning. There's a book by J.I. Packer called Rediscovering Holiness. And he makes this comment in the book. He says, The Puritans insisted that all life and relationships must be, become holy to the Lord. John Wesley told the world that God raised up Methodism to spread scriptural holiness throughout the land. You can go through some of the, 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 the Puritans and it's just holiness, holiness, holiness. That's all they talk about. And today, what do we talk about? How to be happy. How to raise your children. 
how to have a, a good intimate life with your spouse, how to succeed in business. See, the message of holiness has fallen by the wayside. And we need to be reminded that, you know what, God calls us to pursue holiness. Jerry Bridges also wrote another book, The Pursuit of Holiness, great book. So that sacrifice is to be holy. Also, the fourth word here, acceptable or pleasing. He said, I want this sacrifice to be a living one, a holy one, and he wanted it to be acceptable to God. Um, see, if we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, if we offer our bodies as holy to God, then we will also find that, you know what, that will be acceptable to God. That will be pleasing to God. I mean, isn't it amazing? I mean, I was reading this verse this past week, and I just was reading it over and over, and I thought, you know, what an amazing thing that God would find me acceptable. That God would find me acceptable. Because I know I'm not. (laughs) I know I'm not. And so when you stop and you think about that, it, it happens twice here. That word acceptable, it's pleasing, happens twice. It happens at the end of verse 1 there where he says, a holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then at the end of verse 2, he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God is. And what is the will of God? What is good and what? Acceptable or pleasing and perfect. I mean, the the idea that God's will for me should be pleasing, pleasing to me, acceptable to me. I mean, that's, that's a pretty incredible thing. So many times we think of the will of God as something that's forced upon us. The Bible tells me at, at my best, I'm to think of myself in Luke 17, verse 10. He says, as an unworthy servant, (laughs) But it also says that if I live for Jesus, if I offer back to Christ what he has given me. See, this isn't something we're coming up with on our own. He gave us new life. And now he says, I simply want you to offer that back to me. That's when we will hear in Matthew 25, 21, well done, good and faithful servant, come and share in your master's happiness. See, living for Christ is not easy. It's not. It's hard. It's difficult because we live in a sinful body. We live in a sinful world. We're we're confronted with sin on every corner. Temptation here, temptation there. It always has been hard. It always will be hard. But the Lord Jesus Christ, what he has done for us and what he has equipped us to do makes it all worthwhile. So we're to be living sacrifices to the Lord, holy, acceptable. Let's look at the motive of our sacrifice, the motive of our sacrifice, just in the time we have left here today. Because he says there, therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, right, or by the mercies of God, Well, what are the mercies of God? What is it that motivates us or should motivate us to be the best that we should be? 
Whereas the army says, be the best that they can be, right? You ever see those recruiting commercials? They're always filled with pride and just like, wow, yeah, I want to be that guy. Well, there's a number of, number of answers. But I found this illustration and I thought it's a good way to illustrate it. And it was this. One way to motivate people was simply to challenge them. To challenge them. And the illustration, I want to read this illustration for you because it was very telling. Um, we've all heard of who Dale Carnegie is. He wrote the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, years ago. And he tells the story of, of someone who ran a, um, a mill, like a fabric mill. And uh, the workers weren't producing. They just weren't doing their part. And the owner was named Charles Schwab. And he asked the manager who was running the plant, you know, what's the problem here? We're losing money. And the manager said, I had no idea. I've coaxed these men. I've pushed them. I've sworn. I've cussed. I've even threatened them with damnation and being fired. Nothing works. They just will not produce. And Swab asked, well, how many heats, I guess it's a piece of fabric or something, how many heats did your shift make today? The manager said, six. And without saying a word, so classic, Schwab picked up a piece of chalk and he wrote a big six on the floor. And he walked away. And the night shift came in and they saw the big six on the floor and they, what's this? What's this mean? Someone said, well, the big boss was here today. And he asked how many... Heats the, the, the day shift made, and we told him six. And he wrote big six on the floor there with a piece of chalk. Well, the next morning, Schwab walked through the mill again. The night shift had rubbed out the six and replaced it with an even bigger seven. When the day shift reported, the next day they saw the seven. So the night shift thought they were better than that, better than the day shift. How dare they? They pitched in furiously, and before they had left that evening, they rubbed out the seven and replaced it with a ten. The principle is this. Charles Schwab had increased the production 66% in just 24 hours simply by throwing down a challenge. Didn't say a word. I think it was Napoleon that said that men are moved by trinkets. (laughs) We see that in VBS, don't we? Give away a little something. You know, come back tomorrow. Oh, I, I got to go, bring a friend. They're going to give me another little plastic thing, you know. Makes no sense, but it's true. Napoleon was referring to medals. He meant that soldiers would risk even death for recognition. See, what motivates us as Christians to live this Christian life we're called to sacrifice to? Or by Paul's language in verse 1 here. What is it that motivates us to offer our bodies a living sacrifice? I mean, that's not something you would just naturally do. I mean, God is our creator. He's redeemed us from sin by the death of Jesus Christ. He has made us alive in Christ. He loves us. He cares for us. I mean... We can understand we would want to love him and we want to serve him in return. 
But you know what? It's not easy because we're not that rational. We don't look at it that way. And so Paul says, you know what? By the mercies of God. Well, what are these mercies he speaks of? Well, first of all, think of divine election. That God chose you for salvation. Why? Anybody want to answer that question? Good. (laughs) You'd look like a fool if you did. I don't know why. Or justification. The idea that he would pardon us. That he would remove our sins. That he would never account them to us again. That we have a new standing in Christ. Or even the idea of identification. That we are taken out of Adam. Death. Enslaved to sin. And and we're brought now into Christ. Where we're dead to sin. We're dead to the law. We're alive to Christ. Or fourthly, we're under grace, not law. So that we can produce fruit for God. Or the idea that he gave us the Holy Spirit to indwell us. That we can have that freedom through the Spirit from the law of sin and death. Or the idea that he's a help in time of infirmity. Or the idea that there's no way that we could ever be separated from our Savior. Or the God that created us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Or the idea that we have something to look forward to. His coming glory. And beloved, that glory is going to be beyond any, be beyond any comparison to any suffering you're going through right now. It's going to be amazing. We look forward to that. And these are just ones that just couple here that we wrote down confidence in god's faithfulness we've seen that in chapters 9 10 11 the idea that israel blew it but god is still faithful to them and ultimately they will be saved not based upon their own goodness but based upon god's faithfulness see we really need to understand what it means when we come to God and the motive for our sacrifice should be just those things that he did all this in our lives and then it's just simply sacrifice is just something that we'd reasonably do it's not something that's we're dragging ourselves to the altar I don't want to do this no it's reasonable because of what God has already done for us it's amazing it's reasonable because of what God continues to do That each and every day he's forming us, he's fashioning us into the image of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's rubbing out all the bad, replacing it with good. It's reasonable to serve as a sacrifice because such service is God's will for us. That's what he says there. What is the will of God? That that we do this, we offer our bodies a living sacrifice. And it's reasonable because God is worthy of our very best effort. It's one thing that's so important. When you're doing something for the Lord, try to do it to the best of your ability. Don't worry about how somebody else would do it, but do it to the best of your ability. Do it with excellence. Are you going to blow it now and then? Definitely. But that's where God's grace comes in. But your motivation is to say, you know what? I'm doing this for the the king of kings. I'm doing this for the God who saved me. I mean, I get to serve the most high God. What an incredible thing. And then lastly, it's reasonable because only spiritual things will last. 
I trust you understand that. That nothing around you that is of your concern even today, whether it be your home, your car, your place of employment, your business, even your health, it's all going to be gone. It's not going to last. 1 John 2.17 says, The world and its desires are passing away. But the one who does the will of God will live forever. We've heard that quote by Jim Elliott. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That speaks of our salvation. That speaks of who we are in Christ. He gave his life and what he judged was important. There was another missionary, William Borden. He was from a very wealthy family, privileged family. He graduated from Yale University. He had the promise of a very lucrative career before him. But he felt a call to serve God as a missionary in China. And he left for the field, even though his family and his friends thought he was nuts, thought he was a fool. And after a short time away, and even before he reached China, listen to this. He contracted a fatal disease and he died. This guy gave up everything to follow Jesus. But he died possessing nothing in this world. But he did not regret it. And the reason we know that is because he left a little note as he lay dying and he said this, no reserve, no retreat, no regrets. What a wonderful way to go. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, we thank you that you've called us to this life of sacrifice. But Lord, this life is filled with so many blessings. It far outweighs the sacrifice. And Lord, I just pray for each individual here today that as we serve you, that we would serve you with pure motives, that we would serve you not because we have to, but because we desire to, we want to. It's not payback because we, we can't pay you back. We don't owe you anything as far as we're, we can't clear that debt. No way. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would help us to discern how to best serve you here in this place or in the church that we attend. And, Father, we pray that you would just continue to um, guard us, guard our motive. Lord, I pray today, if there's anyone here who is yet to put their faith or trust in Christ, I pray that they would cry out to you as Lord and Savior, and just, Lord, that you would uh, show them their need, that they could cry out to you, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save me. Father, you would answer that prayer when it's prayed from a sincere heart. We thank you and we praise you now in Jesus' name. Amen.